Please be seated. Well, again, good morning. You're not used to seeing me do announcements, but uh, as you know, Connor is gone. He's officially now graduated. And uh, so you can celebrate with him as he gets back here next week. And uh, he and Allison are doing some gallivanting about the Midwest. So they said, we're out here, we're going to take some time to sightsee and see a few things, which I think is outstanding. And um, if you have not had a chance to just kind of travel around a little bit in our country, it's an amazing place to see. Some amazing things. So they're having some fun, and we get to be here and have fun this morning as well. And we get to honor our moms as well. Now, in in light of Greg's question, like, can I have one too? What you can do, Greg, is I figure can, your, your wife is probably home and doing some cooking and get ready. You know, it's, it's Mother's Day. And so for some of those that are maybe empty nesters, they're saying, okay, the kids are coming home. I get to cook again for everybody. And others might say, the kids are home. They get to cook for me. So that's what we're going to do a little bit later today. We're going to cook for Joan, you know, and that kind of stuff. But some of the moms are not here because they're cooking for everybody. So if you're here and the, your wife is home and you want to bring some stuff home to her, you want to bring one of the, some of the gifts home to her, guys, feel free to do that. If you happen to pilfer one for yourself, I won't say anything, Greg. But... Uh, <laughs> <huh>? It's on video. <laughs> Well, I'm not saying he is taking it, but if he does happen to take that, I won't say anything. So maybe we'll deck out your, your, your platform for next week for you. So maybe we'll have to think about if we can do a manly thing for Father's Day. <laughs> but, but anyway, we're really happy to be here and, and happy to honor our moms and the ladies of our church family as well. Well, we've been picked up a series in Hebrews, and we're starting to look at Hebrews, and as we start to walk through Hebrews, as we are processing through it, we're talking about how Jesus is greater than. And as the author starts to walk through these things, he's saying, and he's going he's to talk about how Jesus is greater than a number of things that are around and that people think about. And he starts the conversation out with angels. Now you might ask yourself the question, why does he start the conversation out in comparing Jesus to angels? Well, if you kind of walk through the things that we're going to look at today, there's a number of things that are going to stand out. There's three, there's three different themes that he's hitting on. We're, going to, we're not going to focus a whole lot on those three themes, but let me talk about this real quick. He's going to focus in on, as he talks about Jesus is greater than the angels, he's going to talk about the fact that Jesus is, Jesus is greater than the angels because he is God's son. He's going to talk about the fact that Jesus is greater than the angels because he, in fact, is God. And he's going to talk about the fact that Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus has authority and power. Now, in our world, and at different times and in different ways, people want to attribute Jesus and kind of treat Jesus as a messenger. But the problem with treating Jesus as a messenger, the problem with treating Jesus as an angel, is that Jesus is less than God then. He is less than what he really is, is what they're saying. But he is not. He is greater than. 
but they're trying to diminish and kind of tear down the reality and the integrity of who Jesus is. Now, have you ever had that happen to you in your life? Where people kind of look at you and look at what you're doing and kind of look at your role, but then they kind of treat it as secondary and as not nearly as important? I'll give you an example of this in our life. As you all know, we, are, we have our four boys. I'm glad to have them all here. and They're honoring their mom by all kind of showing up. Daniel came all the way from Korea and Kyle came from Virginia. So it's kind of fun for all of that and all that happened today. But he was actually, Daniel was coming home anyway. But it was wonderful. The, the timing just worked out perfect. But as you kind of walk through all of this, you all know we, our boys are adopted. And what you may not know is that three of our boys were adopted through the foster system of New Jersey. And so as foster parents, our boys came into our home, Brian, Daniel, and Eugene in particular. And we had a younger one that we lost, Cantrell, also through the foster system. And so as you came through the foster system, what was interesting is this. Here I am standing next to Joan, mother and father. But as they would interact with us, they were kind of like, okay, Mr. Brown, you can kind of step aside. We're going to kind of focus in on Mrs. Brown because she's really the important one here. She's really the one that counts. And so as they would provide some services or as they would provide communication, everything was directed to Joan. Because in their worldview and a lot of the ways that they saw things function, dads were kind of secondary because dads sometimes were present and sometimes dads were absent. And for periods of time, dads would be around and then dads would disappear. But moms were always there. So as far as they were concerned, we're going to deal with moms, we're going to focus on moms, we're going to service things through the moms. And dads, if you're around, that's nice, but you're not important. You're not nearly as significant because mom is the primary one. And so you're kind of standing in that world, and you kind of sit there, and you watch, and you're part of things, but you're kind of not really that important in the process. That's kind of what's going on in the attitude of what's being communicated about Jesus. He's here, and he's done stuff, but he's really also kind of not really important. The really important one is God the Father, and we need to honor God, but Jesus has kind of done this stuff, and he's... But he's, you know, he's, he's kind of set to the side because he's really not as important. He's like a messenger, he's like an angel, but he's really not as significant. And so the author is coming back and saying, guys, you've got this wrong. Jesus is core. Jesus is significant. Jesus is primary. Now the author is also primarily writing to or as his primary audience, he's writing to the Jewish audience. And so as you walk through the scriptures, he says, the, the, the title is to the Hebrews, and then also lots of quotes from the Septuagint. So in particular, he's writing to the Grecian Jews, not the Jews so much from Jerusalem, but Jews who've been dispersed throughout the world, the Grecian Jews. But let's kind of come back and look at some of this and, and process through. So we read these verses last week, and so let's kind of come back there and look at that, and then we'll kind of move in. He kind of opens the, the theme, he opens the conversation, he says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, 
God has appointed him an heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now let's pause for a second. Part of what he's going to address also is that concern that Jesus was made something more. Okay? He was not somehow less and then elevated. He has been and he is God. Okay? So he's going to start to walk through that. And, and so as he's talking to his audience, he's going to go back to what they say is authority. Now, as we stand here today, we recognize that the New Testament is also an authority that God has revealed himself further in the New Testament. But in particular, as the writer of Hebrews is talking to the Jewish community, he's going to go back to the authority that they have lived on for all these years up to this point, which is the Old Testament. And so he's going to start to reference Old Testament passages and identify that these are verses, these are passages that are speaking about Jesus. And so that's what we want to walk through a little bit today. Before we do that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into it. Father, I thank you for the time you've given us this morning around your word. I thank you for the hope that you give us in Jesus. The life, the purpose, the meaning, the significance, all those really super important things. Father, it all comes to us through Jesus. And Lord, I'd ask that you would just guide our time this morning in your name and for your glory. Amen. Now let's come to this first one. It says, he, he says, now as he starts to do this comparison, as he starts to kind of present his argument that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is more than the angels. He says, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So again, that comparison, where has God ever said to an angel, you are my son? Where has he ever said that? The implication is he hasn't. So, but then he, he gives this comparison. And so as he comes back to that, where does this come from? This comes from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. He, and I'm going to just deal with that first part. He says, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. I have become your father. Now, that's Psalm 2, verse 7. Let's look at it in the context. So let's go on to the look and read through and see the context of what's taking place in Psalm 2. And this is kind of the significance of this whole conversation. Because it's, you pull it out of that setting, but really you start to see the impact and the significance of that statement as you see it in its context. And so he writes, and, and, and this is the context of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. 
Let's tear off their change and throw their ropes off us. That's the response of the, of the world. We don't want to be under God's authority. We don't want to listen and live and function under his anointed one. And again, we listen to our world and we hear this attitude being declared. We hear this attitude being communicated. And, and again, as you listen to our world, they want to dismiss Jesus. They want to disregard Jesus. It says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. He's talking about the anointed one. He's talking about the one that the worlds push against and that the worlds resist. And there's the context, but let's keep on going. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. This is what he's saying to the anointed one. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. He's turning back and he's looking at the the broader context of the world God is doing. And he's saying to all these authorities and all these leaders and all individuals, listen, you should honor him because he has both the position, he has the power, and he has the authority to lead and rule. Serve the Lord with with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. But I love this next part. All who take refuge in him are happy. Now you look at that, and it's such a juxtaposition to what just came before. You see, on one side of that coin, the potential and the reality for wrath and for judgment and this, this sense that God is standing there with this heavy mallet poised, ready to have it come down. Anyone play whack-a-mole? <clears throat> okay. So it's, it's kind of like that, but in, in a very intense, not, you're, you're not, you know, fun game and funny. No, God is ready to, boom, drop the hammer. So you have that context in one way. God ready there to drop the hammer. And yet on the other part, you see the reality. Over there, rebelling, pushing, elbowing, get away, I don't want to listen. And yet over here on this other side, what's going on? All those who have chosen to take refuge in him, in total contrast to the angst and aggravation and irritation that's taking place over there, all that have chosen to take refuge in him are happy, are fulfilled, are satisfied. There's none of that, oh! They're like, oh, this is good. The total different tension You know, 
all that over here. Oh, oh, oh. If they would just learn to take refuge in Jesus. All that angst, all that tension, all that aggravation, all that kind of internal rage and and that pushing and shoving, that attitude stuff that goes on, could just be alleviated and pushed away. So this is the context. This is the context. When he says to the reader, which angel, what angels did God say, you are my son? What angels? None. But he says this to Jesus. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one. He is the one who has been given authority. He is the one who has been given power. And he is the one in whom we find release and relief and in whom we can be happy. It's in the Son. It's not in an angel. It's not in a sent messenger. But it's in the Son. Jesus is so much more than just the messenger that God sent. He is so much more. We then look at, we come back. He says, I will be his father and he will be my son. Again, we come back to that particular statement. And that flows from 1 Samuel chapter 14. You look at first, or excuse me, Second Samuel chapter fourteen. This is one of the promises that God is making, and He says, "I will be His father, and He will be my son." And it says, "Now this is, but we'll keep on going." And then also comes to First Chronicles chapter seven, verse thirteen. And again, we're talking about the same event captured in two different areas. And just just so you understand, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings captures all the kings. I think I have this correct. And then First and Second Chronicles just captures the kings of Judah. Okay? They're both a chronicle of the history of the nation of Israel. But one is restricted to the nation of Judah, where the other one deals with both the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. The southern kingdom after the division after Saul and the northern kingdom, which is eventually taken into captivity. All right, both deal with the history of the people of Israel. Both are recorded: one Second Samuel, one in Chronicles. So let's go back to the context in Second Samuel. It says, "The Lord decrees to you: the Lord Himself will make a house for you." When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant. This is a promise that's being given to David. And this is where the nation starts to draw the understanding of Messiah. This is, this, is, this is where it starts to come from. So up to this point in time, there has been a sense that God is going to bless the nation of Israel. And that through them, all the nations are going to be blessed. But it's here. 
And this promise that God is making, that they start to develop the whole theology and the whole understanding that a Messiah, a unique, distinct individual, a unique and distinct king of Israel is going to emerge. And it's from these words and this promise that God is making here to David. I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now, that's important to David as well because he's talking about one of David's descendants is going to reign on the, king, on the throne. One of David's descendants. Lineage. Now, We don't have kings and queens here in the States. In other parts of the world, they do. But in our world, we we probably don't fully get it, but we kind of see families that are interested in establishing political dynasties, right? And we see some of that happening, and we they always try to have someone in there, they always try to nurture and they try to have an in. But when you have when, when you're royalty and people want the dynasty, they want their line to continue. Now it's crazy, isn't it? Because they're gonna be dead and gone, they're gonna have no clue what's going on behind them. But they kind of like the idea that my line is gonna last forever, and that's part of the promise that God is making to David. Your lineage is not going to end. It's not going to get snuffed out. In fact, you're going to have a descendant who's going to reign and rule on the throne. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this is where the craziness of the Old Testament, some of the prophecies kick in. Because you see the initial outworking of that, but behind that is a deeper truth that is going on. And so the initial presentation of that is that God is talking about Solomon, but in reality he's talking not just about Solomon, but he's talking about the ultimate one who's going to come, who's going to reign on God's throne. And he says, I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. And they're getting it. They're looking at this. And what the writer is saying is, listen, you need to understand something. We are talking about Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the promised one that we have all been looking for. He is the one. He's more than the angels. He's distinct from angels. He's not just a messenger. He's more than that. How about Chronicles? And again... Very similar, but again, we'll just read through this. So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies said. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will 
Designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Ever since today I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I declare to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. And when your time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who is one of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom. He he is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. And again, here it is. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever and his throne will be established forever. And the author of Hebrews is coming back and he's saying, listen, I want you to understand Jesus is greater and Jesus is more than what you are seeing him and perceiving him to be. He is not an angel from God who's just coming to deliver a message. He is the promised one. He is the promised son of God. He continues, verse 6. And when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. That comes from Psalm 97, verse 7. And what does Psalm 97, verse 7 say? All who serve carved images, and those who boast in worthless idols will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. Now let's put it in context. Let's look at Psalm 97. It's not a long psalm, it's a relatively short psalm. But let's see what it says. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the glory and all the people see his glory. All who serve carved images, who boast in worthless idols, will be put to shame. All the gods must worship him. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the one who reigns, the one who sits in glory, the one who sits in heaven. We're talking about God. The whole context is talking about this is God and all the angels and all the gods and all these deities that people talk about that don't really exist. They need to worship God. Keep on going. Zion hears and is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because your judgment, because of your judgments, Lord. Now pause for a second. Just to remove any confusion. There's a key word used in the Old Testament for God. And that is Yahweh. When you look at your English Bible, you're going to see Lord used a number of different ways. In fact, one of the verses we'll look at later on is going to talk about Yahweh. And it says, my Lord said to my Lord, okay... Do you remember some of that verse? It talks about worship. But when it says, my Lord, it's L-O-R-D capital versus L capital, L-O-L 
capital L, and then O-R-D, small letters. That's Yahweh and Elohim. When you look at Lord there in capital letters, every time you see a capital Lord in your English Bible, that's Yahweh. And that's how they let you know that that's a different word than just Lord. See, sometimes things do get lost in translation and we attempt to try to do things and writers attempt to do some things to help us understand what's going on. So when you talk about that, what does it say? It says, Zion hears and is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments, Yahweh. And again, Yahweh is the one who all the gods must worship. See, when we walk through the context and you're looking at the things that are going on here, we're, to- we're recognizing, we're seeing that he's talking about Yahweh. And then you continue in verse 9. It says, For you, Lord Yahweh, are the most high over the whole earth. You are exalted above all the gods. You who love the Lord, Yahweh, hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous. Gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord you righteous ones and give thanks to his holy name and we walk through the context and we look at the context as what's going on and what is happening is the writer of Hebrews is trying to say and clearly identifying we need, you need to understand Jesus is greater than angels and when we talk about Jesus I want you to understand that Jesus is Yahweh now if you don't get that he goes on to the next set of verses Look at verse 7. He says, And about the angels, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. And where did that come from? That comes from Psalm 104. Verse 4. And again, And making the winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. And you come back then to the context, looking at verses 1 through 5. We're not, this is a longer psalm. We're not going to read the whole thing. He says, my soul bless the Lord. Again, you see that capital L-O-R-D? We're talking about Yahweh. Bless, the, bless my, my soul, bless the Lord. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy, laying the beams of his palace on the waters above, making the chair clouds his chariots, walking on the wings of the wind, and making the winds his messengers and flames fire servants. He established the earth on its foundations. It shall never be shaken. What he's identified listen, God has the one to send the servants. And he's coming back and he's starting to also identify, listen, Jesus is the one who has the authority to tell the angels and the servants what to do. He's not one of the messengers. He's the one who gives the messages to the messengers to be delivered. He's not the errand boy. He's the one who's sending the errand boys to do what they need to do. Jesus is greater than the angels. But he's not done. You know, like that commercial? But wait, there's more. Look at Hebrews 1, verses 8 to 9. But to the Son, your throne, God, is forever and ever. And the scepter, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. Now again, 
Let's look at the context, because in the context, we're in Psalm 45, verses 1 through 7. It says, My heart is moved by a noble theme as I recite my verse to, my, to the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Now he's talking about, the, this, is, this is a psalm talking about the king also getting married. And it says, You're the most handsome of men. Grace flows from your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Mighty warrior, strap your sword at your side in your majesty and splendor. In your splendor, ride triumphantly in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. May your right hand show your awe-inspiring acts. Your sharpened arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies, and people fall under you. Your throne, God, is forever. Okay, You see his shift? He's going now beyond. He's talking about the king, but there's something going beyond. Kind of like, again, the conversation we had about God saying to David, I'm going to establish your throne. He, the, the foreshadowing, the imagery of that was Saul, but there was more beyond that. And the same thing is going on here. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Your love, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, therefore, God, your God, this is therefore Yahweh... Okay, and you, Elijah, or you, Elohim, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Talking about the deity of God. Now, let's go back to Isaiah, or not Isaiah, let's go back to Hebrews for a second. As we kind of walk through these things, what I want you to see is we see in verse 5, in particular, the issues of sonship. Jesus is the Son. What I want you to see then, as he continues down, he says, but to the Son, excuse me, in verse 7, and about the angels, he says, he makes angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. He makes angels servants. But to the Son... See, he's drawing a distinction there. He's separating that out. And he's making a distinction. He's saying the servants has one area of designation. The angels have one area of designation. But Jesus, the Son, has a totally different area of designation. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom. And then, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. So let's look at this next part. This part that comes, comes back. Do I get? Do I do that? I don't. Don't see that. I'm going to keep on going. So let's go to Hebrews 10 verses. I'm going to keep on going. But let me. I realized I messed up. You ever, you ever mess up? You realize you missed something? I missed something. So I apologize. Let's hit that now. We're going to hit that right now. I didn't mess up. That's wonderful. I'm just running ahead of myself. Okay. Let's look at verses verses 10 to 12. It says. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Now, this is again, the, the talking about and describing the works of the Son. He's describing the Son. The angels are the messengers. He's contrasting the two. You have the angels, and then you have the Son. This is the second part about talking about the Son. 
In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing, for you will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing, but you are the same, and your years will never end. And that comes from Psalm 102. We see that in verses 23 to 28. And here's what it says in Psalm 102, verses 23 to 28. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. He's talking about God. He starts talking about the struggle and tension of of what's happening to him, but then he turns his attention to God. He starts talking to God and describing God. He says, Long ago you established the earth and the heavens, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you. And he continues talking about himself. But what I want you to see and what I want you to understand, the author of Hebrews is talking to a Jewish community overwhelmingly and as the Jewish community has reacted and interacted with Jesus, they are treating Jesus as secondary. They're treating Jesus as just a messenger. And he's saying, no, Jesus is way more than a messenger. First of all, he is the son. Second of all, he is God. And he's going back to these Old Testament passages, passages that talk about and identify who Jesus is. And as you walk through those passages in their context, it's very, very clear that they are talking about Yahweh. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is Yahweh. You got to get this. You got to hear this. Jesus is not a mess, just a messenger. Jesus is God. You need to hear this. And then we look at Hebrews 1, verse 13. Now, to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Two things really are interesting here. The angels have unique and distinct enemies to themselves? Not really. Because they're servants of God, so ultimately their enemies are God's enemies. There's a pass-through that's going on here. They are the servants of God. They're, they're not serving themselves. They don't represent themselves. They're constantly representing God. They're constantly serving God. And so as they go forth and do the things that God has called them to do, they're serving God. So if someone's ticked off, they're ultimately not so much ticked off at them as they might be ticked off at God because they're serving and they're following the missions and the responsibilities that God has given them to fulfill. So the irritation rolls back to God. Number two, when do servants sit down and relax? They don't. They finish one task. They might have dinner. They might have a. They might go to bed for the evening. But then the next day, they get up and they're they're back to their tasks again. But what's talking about here is 
sit down because it's talking about the tasks are done. The work that you've been given is completed. It's not what servants do. It's not the, the role and place of a servant. This flows from Psalm 110. It'll just read through verses 1 to 4. It says, This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Okay, this is the declaration of the Lord, Yahweh, to my Lord, Elohim. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn and dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. And I included that last part because we're talking about the, the greatness. This is going to surface later on in the conversation. Because we're also going to talk about later on, Jesus is greater than the priesthood. But here, Jesus is greater than the angels. My Lord. Now, we finish up in verse 14, the last verse in Hebrews 1. And he makes this statement, kind of this conclusion, concluding statement. Are they not all ministering spirits? sent out those who are going to inherit salvation. Talking about angels. See guys, he's saying the angels are the ministering spirits, but Jesus is the means of salvation. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Don't lose sight of who Jesus is. Don't diminish Jesus. And as we said at the beginning, three different themes taking place in this whole conversation. Jesus is the Son. In that role and in that area, Jesus is greater than the angels because he is a son, not a servant. Number two, Jesus is God. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not a messenger. Jesus is God. And again, we saw the prelude to that in verses 1 to 4 as he talked about how through him all things were created. We see that again when he says to bow down and worship him. Who worships? If you're going to worship, God does not share his worship with anybody. And yet he's telling them to worship the Son. And Jesus has a power, has power and authority. Sit at my right hand. Your task is done. Jesus does not need to go to Calvary again. The job is done. The work is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done for our salvation except for each person to receive what is provided. Have to go down here. So today, for all of our ladies, 18 and older, we're giving gifts. A flower and a bag. They are provided. They are paid for. They are here. They are ready to be taken. I can sit down and relax. My wife can sit down and relax. They are here, they're laid out, and they're ready to go. Nothing else needs to be done. 
So if someone leaves without it, whose fault? The person who chose or forgot or refused to take it. See, that is the same thing that's taking place in this conversation with Jesus. The work is done. It is finished. It is completed. There is nothing else that needs to be done for a person to know forgiveness and to be reconciled with God. It has been purchased. It has been provided. It is right there for you to take. Now the choice is, do you want to receive that gift? Do you want to take that gift? Or are you going to leave it at the table and walk away? See, that's the conversation that's taking place as the author of Hebrews is talking to us and to the Jewish community. He has authority and he has power for what he has come to do. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. The job is done. It is completed. There is nothing else that he needs to do because everything that is needed for our forgiveness and our reconciliation with God is done. It just needs to be received. So ladies, I hope you receive the gift. But more significantly for all of us, I would hope that you would receive the gift of Jesus. Because everything that is needed for you to be forgiven and to be reconciled with God, Jesus has completed. See, Jesus is greater. He is light years beyond and above the angels. Angels are great. We're going to meet them someday. Maybe I'll have one carry my golf bag as I golf in heaven. I don't know. It'll be nice to have a caddy. Angels are great. And they are amazing servants of God. At least many of them. Some have rebelled. But they're amazing, wonderful servants of God. They love God and they want to serve God and they want to honor God. And they're wonderful. And they would say to anyone who wants to see them as elevated, they would say to them, no, do not elevate me. Look to Jesus. Look to the Father. Don't look at me. And the author is saying, listen, Jesus is greater. You need to look to Jesus. He is so much more. And he is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your adoration. And all that, is com- all that has needed to be done for us has been completed and he is now finished, seated at the right hand of the Father. I don't know where you are in your journey, but I would encourage you to put your trust in him. If you want to talk to someone about that today, you can talk to me, you can talk to Greg, you can talk to the guys at the sound booth. We'd be glad to talk to you. Um, it's the most important thing I think you can ever do is to put your trust and to acknowledge Jesus. Now, I'm going to shift gears. I can't pass baton to Connor today because he's gallivanting around the Midwest. <laughs> we're going to shift gears and we're going to receive the, the offering and it's going to come from the back to the front. 